Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's the My First Gig Podcast. Whoa. Sharing stories of first gigs and shows. Comedian sharing their memories. The fun and entertaining, exciting and crazy. With Dwayne Dugan as your host. It's the My First Gig Podcast. Here we go. Hello, how are you? What's the crack? Welcome back. It's me, it's Dwayne Dugan. It's your favorite world famous podcaster. Guys, thank you so much. We've really got to stop meeting like this. We could really make a habit of being here every single Wednesday on the My First Gig podcast. Hope you join me. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. First off, here we are, a week in. Absolutely delighted so far with the week one turnout for James A. Caster. Fantastic guest, fantastic chat. Really hope you enjoyed it. And it's only going to get better, you know. Every single week we're going to have another new guest here telling their story. And you know what? Give it six months and you can go back and you can listen again. Because look, you're busy people. You have a lot going on. You're not going to remember what it, what we spoke about. So you get to listen a second time and then a third time. And then each time you tell your friends and we all have good crack. But couldn't have asked for better listeners on week one and couldn't have asked for a better guest. But here we are. Look, you know, as I told you coming from Dublin, Ireland. It's not so sunny. It's actually night time. It's quite raining. The wind is here. We had storm Brendan over the weekend. Now, is that an Irish thing or is that a world thing? Like, I doubt if the winds, you know, kept going and hit New York to be like, oh, Brendan's coming. That has to be an Irish thing, the whole storm Brendan. Like, the names are dreadful. I think they go in, like, alphabetical order, so the next one will be, like, a letter C. I don't know, Storm Call. To be the next one. I don't know. Who cares? Yeah, so it's it's less sunny, but as we're coming from Dublin, Ireland, maybe it's time to have my first Irish guest. I know. I, I shouldn't really be saying my first something guest. It's week two. Like, yeah, a guest I'm delighted to have. It's Ardlaw Hanlon, an absolute staple of the Irish comedy scene, a founding father of the Irish comedy scene, quite literally, as you'll hear throughout this episode, you know. This was such a great episode because it's not just his first gig, it's the first gig of what we now know is the Irish comedy scene, you know, over 30 years ago and such a familiar face, you know, obviously Father Dougal Maguire in Father Ted, what was that, 1995, you know, we're going on 25 years on screen as one of the most recognisable characters of one of the best love shows and one of Ireland's greatest exports in Father Ted. It was brilliant to, to sit down with him. He was very kind. We, uh, we, we messed up the first one with a little technical issue and he decided to sit down and talk again, which I really, really appreciated. This was recorded last year while he was getting ready to kick off his tour. The showing off must go on. He dropped into Cherry Comedy to try out some new material. He'd been away from stand-up for some time and here he was, you know, dipping his feet in, testing stuff out, getting ready, making sure that he was, you know, up to scratch before heading out on tour. And as someone who grew up watching Father Ted and, you know, loving the the silliness and the ridiculousness of his character. I remember when I first moved to Cork City. I'm from a place called Cove outside of Cork, but when I first moved to the city, I was like, wow, I get to go to the comedy clubs now. And there was this great comedy club still there, City Limits. 
and the first weekend I went there, Ard Lohan was there, and I was like, oh my God, I still actually have the ticket from that night. It was very special. I got to play there years later, and it was a lot of fun, but what was even more fun was, you know, not just sitting down and recording this chat with Ardle, but we recorded this, as I said, at Cherry Comedy in Whelan's, and later at night he performed where I was hosting, and I got to introduce him on, you know, on my show, which, yeah, even seeing it now, I'm like, wow, that's, you know, no, no matter how how many times I meet him or how many times I gig with him or whoever you gig with her, the feeling of how cool that is doesn't doesn't leave me. So it's great when he comes in to Whelan's, to Cherry Comedy, to, to test out that stuff. So sit back, relax, won't you? Uh, won't you run a little bubble mat, get a glass of wine, put down your favorite book, and bring in your speakers and listen to uh, listen to our chat, or just on your commute to work or sitting in the office, whatever, whatever you prefer. Up to you. Whichever it is, sit back and listen to my first gig with Ardle O'Hanlon. In my case, there's loads of things to test out. Test out everything. Like, am I happy with my voice, with the timbre and the tone? Um, there's like, there's a lot of new, like, brand new stuff that I'm working away on, and I'll work away on it right up to the last minute. I just keep writing and writing and writing, and then do two weeks of like really intensive warm ups, putting the whole show together, where you start weeding out the stuff that isn't working quite as well. Um, these kind of nights in Whelan's on a Monday night are really useful for just putting little chunks together. It's like in football or rugby, you know, putting little combinations together. Like, will those two things go well together? You know, is that a nice transition from that bit to that bit? You know, so so uh, there's loads of things to experiment with every time. I mean, it's a little bit frustrating because I don't do that much. You know, I only do, like, I only pop into these clubs once every week or once every two or three weeks sometimes. So you don't have that continuity where you're, you're, you can kind of capitalize on what you do one night the next night sure yes and i guess it's probably even still different going out and saying doing 25 30 minutes compared to the energy of what you're doing for an hour yeah so even if you do a bit here tonight if that's place say 35 minutes in it could be completely different i'd say yeah it's really frustrating that as well like just doing 20 minutes because it's gone in, in the blink of an eye when you're used to doing an hour an hour and 15 like doing doing 20 is just it's, it's, you know, you get a certain amount out of it, but, it, you know, you're always left a little bit frustrated. And say now that, that week that you do that kind of preview run before you kick off officially, will you put a stamp on it then? Or will you allow it to develop as the tour goes on? Oh, yeah. I'll still hopefully, in, in theory, allow it to develop as, 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 as it goes on. But, I mean, you know, it's great to have a structure in place. And it's just great to be really confident about stuff. Sure. Like, I mean, there are some comedians who, who come up with a new show every year, you know, I, I, and fair play to them. I, I've never been one of those people, like partly to do with, you know, I've always had other other irons in the fire, like, but also partly because I just don't, I don't work at that rate, you know, I, I'm, I kind of daydream an awful lot, you know, so, so, um, you know, for me, these things are, are, are gestating away slowly for years, you know, you're, you're working on a little bit of material that you might have been working on five years ago, but you never tried it out. So I'm still developing stuff that I've had for 20 years. <laughs> well, no, I think it, I think that's fair because, you know, obviously I wouldn't, you know, go against anybody's work rate or if, you know, putting out a show every year. I spoke to people who, who took the same show to, say, the Edinburgh Fringe two years in a row or even three years in a row. And they say, you know, they could have put out three separate shows. Yeah. But at the end of it, what they had finished in their hand was so much better than it would have been had they just done the year and dropped it. Yeah. So I think it needs that time because, like... It needs to, it needs to last. Yeah. Well, you know, you yeah. know if, 
if you drop it in a year and you revisit it, it could be very outdated. But if it sticks with you over three years, it might stick with you ten years later well, as well. I, you know, I, I think that's absolutely right. And I also think, like, you know, stand up is it, it, it evolves. You know, which I think is the same point you're kind of making in a yeah. way. Like it, it, it's, you know, I, 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 I'm very reluctant to discard stuff in completely. I mean, you got to change your show every time you go out and tour, but. You know, you, I think I think you've got to build on what you've already built. You know, that, that like good good stand up is is like good wine or something. You know, it 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 benefits from from sort of storage in your head or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, before I go back and get into your first gig and ask you what your first memory of comedy would be, what comes to mind for you? My first ever memory of comedy, of laughing, like or of of seeing people producing comedy, was was Laurel and Hardy. Saturday morning, I think, during the summer holidays, probably I I would have been about six or seven myself. And my older brother, we loved Laurel and Hardy, so we used to get up early Saturday mornings. Did show about like seven episodes in a row. I think it was all that RT had in those days. Like it was Laurel and Hardy repeats, a little bit of Harold Lloyd, you know, some of those silent movies, um, Buster Keaton. And stuff like that. And like to this day, I still love Lauren Hardy. I remember I bought the box set DVDs a few years ago when my kids were very small and I got them into it as well. And they all loved it. And, and I was really pleasantly surprised that it stood up quite well. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's basically the blueprint for double acts, uh, blueprint for slapstick comedy. You know, I personally like Stan Laurel. I think, I, I think he influenced me. Sometimes, you know, I'm a little bit sheepish about saying that. Like... Sometimes the influence is really obvious, I think, sometimes, particularly in Father Ted and, you know, me, me playing Father Dougal and Father Ted. You know, it's kind of like you, you're kind of doing a version of Stan Laurel, but it's unavoidable. They were, they were, they were that good. You, you know, they were, they were, you know, they loomed large in your imagination. If I had to go further and ask what your first memory of live comedy, your really first memory of live comedy. Now, this might be a bit different because obviously yeah. we'll get into that. I mean, there was really no live comedy in Ireland when I started out. So I started out in, in the International Bar, in the Comedy Cellar, uh, 1988, probably, first ever gig. Myself and Barry Murphy, Kevin Gildee, and um, Dermot Carmody uh, were part of a group called Mr. Trellis Sketch Group, and then Carl McDermott was there as well in that very first gig, so there was five of us. Um, and I don't honestly think I had ever seen a live show before I did it myself. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I, I'm struggling. I mean, I'm really struggling to think. I mean, we, we would have seen old VHS copies of American comedy legends, people like uh, Robin Williams, uh, you know, really fuzzy copies. You could hardly see them. Uh, Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, um, Stephen Wright, and Steve Martin doing his Wild and Crazy Guy. So they were about the only five comedy videos in the video store in my town in Carrick Cross. So they were in the video store? Yes. So I guess somebody's shipping them over. I guess if they're in Carrick Cross, they're probably in Dublin and other places. But why do you think, even though there was an audience to consume that sort of entertainment, that there didn't seem to be it produced here? Yeah, there didn't seem to be an equivalent. Hmm. Um, later on, you realise that there were kind of... You know, there were there were there were people like Niall Tobin in operation who was actually really funny. Like he did accents and he did kind of stories. Uh, he he wore he wore a, I think he wore a white dinner jacket and a dicky bow, and he sort of did the after dinner circuit or what passed for an after dinner circuit in Ireland in those days. 
And then you had like really traditional comedians like Hal Roach and other people who just told jokes like about Murphy and O'Brien and, you know, kind of really old fashioned jokes about mother-in-laws and stuff like that. You know, they all had great timing and, you know, good performing skills and everything else. But that that would never have appealed to me, I don't think. Um, Brendan Grace used to was on record. He had, there was LPs of Brendan Grace, and and I remember as a kid thinking they were really funny. We had we had one of one of them, uh, Bottler, doing some really funny routines, some really funny sketches. But it was really the American comedians that I looked to, like like or certainly got the first the first wave of inspiration was was from them watching them going, wow, that is so exciting and so dynamic and and so daring and everything, you know. Uh, and I suppose the one that leapt out at me as a starting point was Stephen Wright, who did one-liners, surreal one-liners. I can't even remember any of them now, but I, I, I probably watched that particular tape about a hundred times. Well, I guess if that kind of medium doesn't really exist here. It's going to seem like, you know, sort of exotic or something, you know, you know, especially in those days, almost out of this world from, from an Irish perspective. What led then? So you were in college with Barry Murphy and Kevin Kildee. Yeah. And was there something in college? Did you start doing things in college that kind of, influence the decision to maybe seek out a performance or I'm trying to think would the stand-ups going on before bands do you know if this was around that era or was that did that follow there was this a tiny bit of it yeah yeah there was a tiny tiny bit of it. I remember um I remember seeing Paul Tyler before I knew him um opening for a band called the Baby Snakes who were a, like a pretty cool indie band in Dublin around the time of the big indie explosion in Dublin, late 80s. But really, I think just when I was in college, like in in DCU or what was then NIHE, it was called, like we just, we just thought we would, we would do some, we like, we thought from early enough on that we would, we would try comedy at some stage, that we would try and be like those guys that we saw on the tapes when when we were a bit younger. And, and also by, by then, uh, Stand-up started appearing on British TV. People like Sean Hughes, Irish guys like Sean Hughes, Michael Redmond, Ian McPherson, Owen O'Neill. Suddenly you'd see these guys who weren't that different to us. They dressed the same as us and they had the same sort of concerns. And they were kind of funny and they were kind of loose and they were kind of cool. And um, you'd occasionally see them popping up on British TV, you know, on a Friday night or a Saturday night. There was like, there was comedy shows on um, uh, that, w- that, was, that was trying to, you know, ride on that wave of, of new comedy that was happening at the time. Um, so, you know, it was beginning to become a possibility. So we kind of looked at each other and we said, well, you know, let's, let's give this a go. We'd already sort of, our, our first little forays into comedy was debating society in, in DCU. And I guess when you're watching these things, are you aware that it's British TV? Like obviously where it was British TV, but that's like filmed and stuff in Britain? Yeah, yeah. Well, you, 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 like, so as far as I remember, the name of the show that was on BBC was... Friday Night Live, and then that later became Saturday Night Live. Um, and you would see comedians like Lee Evans on it, Jack D, uh, Joe Brand, and um, a, f- a few a few others, you know. And and like that was the first sort of realization that it wasn't impossible. It wasn't an impossible dream, you know. You, you know, you, like when you when we put when you put together your first three or four minutes. You know, it's not that different. It's not that much worse than what the people on television were doing. You know, in some cases, you like in, in the cockiness of youth, you thought it was actually a little bit better. London's obviously a lot closer than, you know, the guys that you saw on those VHS tapes, but it's still not here. 
So yeah. it's still like a kind of a, it's, it's not impossible, but it's still pretty difficult. Basically, it's not here. When I started, when anybody I talked to started, literally everybody who's on the scene now, when they started, they went to one of the clubs yeah. and found out yeah. how to start. But without that, what what gave you the guys the idea to go right? Well, well, well there was a couple of things. I mean, first of all, this is literally true. There was nothing else to do. That's a, a that's a fact. You know, there was the economy was like really shit, like much worse than it's ever been in the recent recessions or anything. It was like really bad. So there was no there was no career opportunities or anything like that. So it was very normal for people leaving college to become poets or become uh, musicians, mainly, I suppose. Or just, you know, just become layabouts. You know, that's that was that was your your options. Poetry, music, or layab layabout layabouts. And we 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 chose comedy. You know, we just decided like there's no nobody doing this. Uh it's becoming popular on television. We've seen the American VHSs, we've seen the 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 stuff on, on English television. You know, let's just try and do it. And and I know Barry had been to London one summer and he'd gone to the comedy store. And he, 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 he sort of, he, he kind of pushed it, I think, more than any of the rest of us when he came back. He said, look, let's just get a little room in a pub and let's just set up something. And, you know, it, you know we, we'll, we'll do some sketches and, and we'll do a little bit of stand-up and should we just see? And so there was no real, uh, you know, there was no real idea that there would be a career at the end of it or anything. But, like, we just said we'd give it a go to pass the time as much as anything else. And it was kind of like a mutual support, you know, kind of a, the International became a sort of a drop-in centre for would-be comedians. I, I'm, I'm looking at my questions here but it's just it's interesting I have to almost like deviate from them because it's not traditionally a first gig because a first gig is not only your first gig but it's the first gig that you're running but it's also the first gig of the Irish comedy scene it's like it's it's quite a quite a kind of a big bang moment almost yeah I mean maybe maybe in hindsight it is uh, you know other people might dispute that there were other little gigs somewhere else but yeah, certainly at the time it didn't feel like a big bang moment, or it like there was probably twenty people in the audience. There were probably all people we knew, um, and and it was probably very very ropey. I mean, I, I I do remember it very distinctly though. Like I remember everything about it. I remember what I was wearing. I remember the nerves. I remember all of that. For the record, I was wearing a very cheap secondhand suit, kind of a zoot suit that I got in Georgia Street Arcade in a Dublin. A suit for your first show? Yeah, we used to wear suits in those days. Like, they were really cool mod type suits. But I, I made it less cool by, because I had a cold and I wore a jumper <laughs> under the suit. Uh, a, a really horrible jumper in the color of Eason's wrapping paper. Do you know the okay. kind of purple and green? and uh, wasn't, It wasn't great. But... Um, <laughs> uh, I remember the gig going really well. Like I was very nervous. I was, I was, my leg was shaking. I was sweating a lot, and I was stammering a bit. But I settled down pretty quickly, and you know, to my amazement, you know, a lot of people, uh, the people who were there, laughed. And and uh, like, you know, to people who, who who haven't done comedy, it's very hard to convey the excitement of that. You know, that first big, first big roar of laughter that you get for something that you produced that came out of your head. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Let's talk about producing that. So, you know, you've got all these other responsibilities, I'm guessing, to, between the four of you um, on the day or on the night or even in the lead up to it. But at what point do you start working on material? Do you do it just yourself or is it the three of you going up? Well, we, 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 we were working on sketches um, uh, mostly at the time, I suppose. Um, uh, you know, we, we all had our own little bit of stand-up going on sort of parallel. But the main focus of, of, of those nights in the International Bar, those first few, few nights, were, um, were sketches. And we only had one or two sketches, but, you know, they were... They, were, they, they, were, they got laughs as well, you know, they were, they were, they were okay, you know, and... and uh, but um, I think that first night I did about 10 minutes of stand-up. And there was at least one joke there that I was still doing like five years later, you know. <laughs> so, I don't know. It couldn't have been terrible. Yeah, it wasn't terrible. And I mean, and the other thing that was really interesting was that, you know, you don't set out to, to uh, create a style or a persona. I think that happens naturally. I think that's for most comedians. You know, you... You know, you know, you 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 you're not really aware of it. I certainly wasn't aware of it, and I think that was a good thing. So I just let sort of um, a naive element just come through, you know, because we were naive in in some ways, and you know, you just let that come to the fore. You just let some part of you, some aspect of your own personality, you just let that be the dominant thing. And in my case, I thought that naivety was quite good. Like it worked for me. I didn't plan it. It just, but I pretended sort of to be really. I think it's a defensive thing when you start out. You kind of hide behind, oh, I'm really stupid here. So I'll just, uh, I'll be really uptight and my shoulders will be really bunched and uh, I'll pretend I don't know what's going on in the world. So you do these jokes that are, li- they're actually little bombs in a way, you know, like they're, they're kind of incendiary, but they're, they're, um, they're cloaked in innocence. And that, that was just the way my style developed. So 10, ten minutes and uh, that joke you were doing for, for five years, does it stay in your memory now? Would you remember what it could be? It was something about... It was an observational along the lines of, do you know the way when you're talking to somebody and they're talking to you and your your faces are very close to each other and they're spitting all over your face and it was it was a lot it was along those lines it was an observation anyway about trying to pretend that the person isn't spitting in your face and just talking to them as if nothing is happening and I, I can't really I can't really remember it now but uh, it stood me in good stead for years. I mean, you know, obviously, if you were to look back at the ten minutes I did that night. You know, and what I know now, I would have quit like the night, you know, the next day. Like, you know, you really, I thought that was funny, you know, but um, you live and learn, you know. And, and uh, But I mean, it, there was enough there, certainly in that first night and certainly in that first six months to realize that, you know, 
like despite my own problems in terms of like I was kind of shy I wasn't what you might call a natural performer I wasn't the best writer in the world in terms of like you know generating loads of material but you know I, I definitely knew that I wasn't a complete fool to be doing it or I wasn't completely wasting my time because you saw other people who were clearly wasting their time who, who, who you know used to drop in and do open spots and things and you thought you know well at least I'm not I'm not them <laughs> <laughs> I want to I stick on that day do you spend the day with the guys? Do you spend the day on your own in in preparation? Yeah. Um, yeah, we used to spend a lot of time together. I mean, we spent nearly all day, every day with each other, you know, and not necessarily writing. Like, we, were, we weren't the most productive people in the world. I mean, I think this is a really crucial point as well. I mean, because there was no career path and there were no clubs to play and there was no obvious route to success, like, we definitely had a philosophy if not a, an, a if not a manifesto like that comedy was about it was about enjoying it was about enjoying yourself it was about living a slightly bohemian existence you know we were very opposed to the whole idea of making money like you know because there was obviously no chance of making any money but so therefore our philosophy was that people who make money are evil you know it was like that kind of um undergraduate type of philosophy you know that we had you know so it was all about like just passing the time and you know so most of our day wasn't spent writing it was spent arguing and playing football we we, we used to just play play football all day long uh, argue um sit we used to our office was upstairs in burger king in a booth where we'd sit over like one cup of coffee for the whole day literally the <laughs> whole day and uh uh we we just like just talk about everything and the worst in some ways the best days of my life you know those formative years where you kind of you know you just have a great laugh with your mates you know and so it, we certainly weren't taking it very seriously for the first three years like obviously there's there's so many more hurdles in the fact that there was no proven path there was no as you said the idea of making money or a career or anything out of it but i guess on 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 the pro side that that freedom there's no risk yeah you know if there's if there's, if, if there's no goal there's no risk i guess and that is so true that is so true and you know, it isn't until much later, like when you go to London and you commit, that suddenly you know you start getting a bit nervous and you you start worrying about what people think and and all those things. As you get as you get more and more kind of attention or whatever, more and more work, you know, more notice, and suddenly you're being paid a bit better. You feel a bit more responsibility, you know. So yeah, that that does come later, and it doesn't take the fun out of it or anything. It's still, you know, it's always great to be able to do it and. But nothing really compares to those first few times, I don't think. And on that first time in particular, do you remember kind of the formula of the night? Did you just go back one or the other? Did, you have a, did somebody kind of take the hosting duties? Or Yeah, Barry sort of very quickly became the uh, regular MC for the international. And then, you know, within a few months, we had other people coming along as well. Um, we had another sketch group who called themselves um, Comic Souffle. And then, you know, I'll get the timing all wrong, but certainly within two or three years, you had, you know, stand-ups like Alex Lyons, who came from an advertising background. Jerry Kennedy came from an advertising background. The Quack Squad, who were Joe Rooney and Paul Tylock, who came in with some really cool rock and roll type sketches. And, um, you know, then, then, then the floodgates started to open and more and more people joined in and, and then other clubs started opening up and stuff. Um, 
and then we and then we had like amazing visitors. Like I remember, I remember Dylan Moran's first open spot, which would have been about two years after we started, and he came in and he was brilliant. Same night, Eddie Izzard was on. Eddie Izzard was in town. He was just breaking big at that time. He wasn't like the big international star that he is today, but he was, you know, he was getting pretty well known. And he was doing some gigs in Dublin, and he wanted to do a little bit of a warm up just to test the waters. And he came into the international bar and did half an hour, probably the best half an hour I've ever seen in there, doing all this stuff about dinosaurs and everything. And that was the same night Dylan did his first open spot. So, like, that was a, a legendary night, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, so, you know, there were great nights. And we all used to, like, go to Blazes afterwards, which was this late night drinking den. Like, Dublin was a, was a desert in those days for cool places to go to after, after gigs. But that was one that we all went to. So all the... All the low life of Dublin were there. <laughs> All the comedians and musos and drifters and wasters. It was brilliant. Like it was really exciting. And then we go back to my place and play poker until six in the morning. So it was great. Great life. I, I mentioned that kind of you know either a freedom or like a risk or something. But did did you feel you're preparing for your first gig or were you nervous for the first time? Because you're saying you're going up there doing sketches and. 10 minutes of material as yeah. well you know so it's, it's it's a lot to juggle in one night yeah. when you i guess you haven't performed on the stage like that before yeah no i, I was i was terrified yeah i was really 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 nervous yeah i mean um and even for the first five or ten years like i was i was pretty nervous before most gigs uh, uh but certainly that first night like it was it was like just it was like it's you know free diving from a plane or something like just skydiving just jumping out of a plane with no parachute that's 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 what it's like you know you you kind of you almost go you almost kind of go blank for a split second you know where you're just your senses are kind of shut down as a kind of a defense mechanism so you can't see you can't hear anything for a few seconds feels like hours but it's probably only a few seconds and then you kind of get a grip and you sort of you know Get, get in control and then very quickly like it's probably only 30 seconds you're relaxed and you're breathing normally and you know you're into it it's cool and was there people on before you that night um yeah i mean there was probably kevin or barry or someone i, I don't i don't know where i went on do you remember if that helped you or not like i've seen seeing other people going on or are you just kind of sitting there focusing on yourself and waiting for your your turn i guess yeah, I was pretty. Uh, I, I was pretty, you know, in my own bubble, I suppose, for for most of the evening, and and um, just waiting my turn. I mean, I probably had had rehearsed it about a hundred times, you know, over the previous three or four days or week or whatever, you know. So I kind of, you know, knew it word for word. Even in the mirror, there's there wasn't that twenty people in the mirror no. looking at you. Any memories from that first night of of yourself being on stage? Um, were you happy with it? Yeah, I mean, I was really happy with it. I, I thought it, I thought it went, I thought it went well. You know, um, got great feedback. You know, and it just made you want to get up again. And we didn't have another gig for about a month afterwards. But you couldn't wait to get home. I, you know, I remember, you know, because you walked everywhere as well. You know, there was no Lewis, there was no bus, there was no taxi fare. So you know, you, I remember walking home like walking on air. You know that expression. It's it 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 feel, you know that's what exactly what it feels like. You're walking on air. So immediately you wanted to go, keep going, and try it again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Couldn't wait to get up the next morning. You know, you just feel so, so good, so powerful. Like coming from a position of like feeling really shit most of the time and really powerless and badly nourished. And, you know, like I can't describe to you what it's like when you, when you, when you left college in those days, living in dingy beds, it's freezing cold all the time, you know, eating like really badly and, and uh, you know, not really having a stick. Some of your friends from school, you know, with proper jobs. 
you see them on the street sometimes you feel like hiding you know you know your your self-esteem wouldn't be great but like when you do something like that and it gets a reaction like it did you just you feel brilliant you know it feels it well it feels great it was one of the it was one of the it was one of the best moments you know i experienced it again about about five years later when i did my first ever comedy store gig in london that was the nearest thing i ever got to it was like because london was obviously a big deal going to london and then the comedy store was the height of my ambition in those days. I didn't even know there was a, I thought that was the ceiling. I remember going to play the, play the comedy store and it going really well. And I mean, you know, I was thinking, so now my last three or four years have not been wasted in Dublin, you know, playing, playing in front of 20, 30 people. Because I had a good set by the time I got to London. And I just remember that night walking, I think I lived about 10 miles from the comedy store, but, you know, just... The best feeling. That same walking on air feeling. Same walking on air feeling, but ne- I don't think it's ever really been. I've never really got that again doing anything. Well, I guess yeah, it's probably hard to replicate how exciting that was the first time. Yeah. If I could ask, because of the unique nature of the, the comedy seller being, you know, your first gig and being one of its founders, it's still there. It's passed through so many hands, yet it's still there. What do you What do you feel when you look at it now and its legacy? Do you, Do you feel attachment to it still? Do you feel I don't really feel attachment to it, but I do feel a certain pride, yeah, uh, a certain like fatherly pride. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm very happy that we made we you know we 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 established it, we 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 made it our own for a while, and I'm very happy with the with the way it evolved. You know, the fact that nobody ever really owned it or anything that you just passed on the torch. You know, I'm quite happy that that was like that is the cool hippie way. It was you know you know it was originally. Um, the way it was originally planned, you know, that it would be this cool place. Like, like, like I used the, you know, the comparison of a drop-in center, you know, for 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 comedians. You know, it's a place where, you know, it was there to foster comedy. It was there to support comedians. You know, when we were there, all the comedians would come. If they weren't on the bill, they'd come and watch. Uh, I remember Andrew Maxwell, like as a schoolboy, bunking off from on school nights, coming in, sitting in the front row. He watched it for two or three years before he got up and did his first open spot. You know, so all that kind of stuff, like, I remember very fondly. But I don't feel any ownership or anything like that to it, towards it, you know. If you could go back to that night, 1988, upstairs in the International Comedy Centre, and if you could pull yourself aside right before you have to go on and give yourself some advice, other than don't wear the jumper, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely don't wear the jumper. Um, what I What I would say to myself is that you know, while while it's good to be motivated and it's good to have a little frisson of tension and everything else, I wasted far too much of my energy panicking. There is nothing to fear. You know, that's like, that goes for that night. It also goes for a lot of the nights after that. You know, 99% of the time it, it went well. It was, there was never anything to worry about. There was, you know, I stressed unnecessarily about, about gigs. It should be the most joyful thing in the world. Well, if I could counter you, I see people who do get stressed. And I see people who, but then every time I gig with them, I wish it went as well for me as it is for them in that way. And I'm like, and then I'm like, why aren't I panicking? And I think, do you think maybe the, without the panic, the panic's almost, it drives you. And it, it, it stops you from getting complacent. It does, yeah. It, 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 it's like, I think it's, it's a little bit of um. What it is, I think, is it's a little bit of perfectionism, which is not necessarily the person I want to be, but I think it is sort of like in terms of my approach to comedy, it, it is the way I have been, is trying to be as 
I like try to make this as good as possible. Try to be the best comedian I can be. It's not about being better than anyone else. It's being the best comic you can be. Just just nailing everything, being word perfect. You know, so it's a type of control freakery in a way. Um, thankfully, I don't bring that into other aspects of my life. But certainly in in the approach to work, I just thought like, you know, this is this is the first thing I found in my life that I can do well. You know, and you know, I want to do it really well. Yeah, great chatting. Thank cool, you for chatting your first gig. Thank you. There we go. That's it, guys. That is Ard Lohan, and that was his first gig. Thank you so much for tuning in. Now, I did look at the stats and the analytics for the episode last week, and the last two and a half minutes, which is primarily this bit, once James had said goodbye and once I came back in, this is when people started to tune out. So if you've left, you know, there's not much I can do about it now. I uh, I have a lot to offer. I wish you would have stayed. A couple of nice reviews and a couple of nice messages saying, yeah, yeah, a lot of hosts talk too much. Dwayne thankfully just let James speak. And then the second I speak, you all ran out the door. So if you're listening here, maybe I'll maybe dial back my attitude. And be friendly. Hey, guys, we're all friends. It's me, world-famous podcaster Dwayne Dugan and you, my new friend. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. But uh, but honestly, no, guys, thank you so much again for tuning in. Uh, this is, you know, this podcast is useless if you don't listen. Please, please, please keep tuning in. Most importantly, please spread the word. If you enjoyed today's episode, chuck it up on your Instagram story. Chuck it up on Twitter. Chuck it up on, I don't know. Take, my friend downloaded TikTok the other day and he said, yeah, it's all kids, but you got to be doing it. you got to be throwing up stuff on TikTok. TikTok is officially where I've become too old for the new apps. I'm not an old person. I'm 31 years old, right? But I downloaded TikTok and I goes, oh, well, look, everyone's going to do it. I downloaded it primarily because I wanted to get my username because I don't have my, just at Dwayne. That's all I wanted was at Dwayne. I have not nowhere because I missed out everywhere. I was 21 when I signed up for Twitter. So I signed up for Sir Dwayne because I thought that was cool. What an idiot. And then some wedding photographer who barely uses it took Dwayne and I hate him. I hate him with a passion. Send him mean tweets. So I signed up just to get my username. That was already gone. And then I tried to understand it. I don't have a clue what's going on. TikTok's officially my way of bowing out. So there is no My First Gig TikTok, but there is an Instagram, there is a Facebook, and there is a Twitter at My First Gig Pod, or you can get them all by going to myfirstgigpod.com. Subscribe, leave a review, do all the usual things, but most importantly, tell your friends and come back next week. Appreciate you tuning in. Spread the word. See you next week. Next week's guest announced on social media ahead of time. If you subscribe, you get the episode before anybody else. And who wouldn't want this about an hour and a half early? I know I wouldn't. Guys, see you next Wednesday. Thank you. It's the My First Gig Podcast. Whoa.